the men in this film are portrayed as Egypts because <laughs> oh, yeah. they were yeah. and still are. Whereas the women are, <laughs> the women are portrayed now as... Now we're getting the, to yeah. it. Well, we're getting to what we're all here to talk about. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and this week it's all about movies. I'm very excited because we've actually never done a show which has been completely dedicated to film and in particular we're going to be talking about women in film so I'm very excited to welcome my guests to studio this week. So film critics Chris Wasser and Cara O'Doherty are with us. You're very welcome to the show. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. So, oh. oh God. Snap. <laughs> I'm the, look at that. <laughs> are you going to say everything in unison? Yep. That might be a little bit hard to edit if you do that. Um, we're going to start the same way we always start which is with our game. So it's called Six Words or Less and you have to describe yourself in six words or less and it's for any of our listeners or viewers or readers of her.ie who may not know who you are. So who wants to go first? You go first. I, th I, I feel, feel like, like I pointed first. Right. Did you practice this or something? I'm going to see how you get on with yours first and then I could possibly okay. change by uh, <laughs> Jeez. This is very stressful. I found this, this, this took a lot of thinking and I, my answer really doesn't sound like I thought at all. Did it change or did you just know straight away what you were going to say? I knew, well I went back to what I started out with. Well see, there you go. So okay, so really it's not very exciting but okay, I'm trying to make sure it's the six. So, history, theatre, film geek loves writing. I like that. I like that. Yes. Wait, I think I counted wrong though for a second. <laughs> I for a second, I was, I was stressed there. Yeah, you didn't go over, did you? That was no, six, yeah. Right? Okay, was... amazing. Well done. That was Thank great. You. And very informative. I love the ones that are very informative. Sometimes they're a little bit. No, they're great. Everyone's brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant, Chris. Um, I put far too much thought into this. More thought than I hope probably... he's actually like did some research on what we're going to talk about as well. Or oh, did you just I, I didn't have time for that. Yeah, I don't no, either. Just I, um, so focused on the six words. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what films we're talking about today, but I do know how to describe myself in six words or less. Fantastic. Uh, Sing Street Boy turned arts journal. Ooh, nice. I think that pretty much sums up that you know, past pupil of Sing Street CBS, okay. uh, straight out of school, became an arts journalist, and it's been all downhill ever since. <laughs> so yeah. That pretty much sums me up. All downhill ever since. That's great. Brilliant. It's nice to start on a positive note. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So speaking of movies, I wanted to be known. Let it be said, I am not a film critic. I like movies. I enjoy them, but I don't know everything about them. And I also haven't seen a lot of what we're going to talk about. But some people haven't. But when this comes out, a lot of these movies will be out and people will be able to go and see them. But the reason why I wanted to kind of do a show like this was because two of my great loves are kind of being combined on film at the moment, and that is history as well. I love history. And women, I love women, obviously. So I just thought it was a really great time for women in film, so I wanted to kind of talk about that. Um, and I think we should start with the film that I've seen, because then I'm just gonna shut up for the rest of it and let you guys um, talk about it, but it's the favorite. So I saw it last week and uh, it was, actually I'm not gonna talk about what I think, let you guys talk first and tell me what you guys think about it. How did you get on with it? I was about to say the same to you. <laughs> I absolutely adored it. Really? Absolutely loved it. I'm a big fan of Yorgos Lanthimos. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got it. Way uh, better than how I'm going to say it anyway, so, <laughs> which I'm not going uh, to. My Greek holiday has clearly paid off there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love his work anyway. And I loved the fact that he managed to bring a lot of what he, his, his unique characteristics he brought to this, but it is more mainstream as yeah. well. Uh, it's just, the, 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 this film is really it's, it's the performances that make it the absolute winner. I mean, Olivia Coleman is outstanding as Queen Anne. She's unbelievable in it. And I think, like, for anybody who hasn't seen the movie yet, this is one of the other things that I have to be very cautious of. So, obviously, we're not supposed to give spoilers and stuff like that. See, I wouldn't know that because I don't do shows <laughs> based on movies. So, I'm like, so what happened in the end? But it's a, it's, it's a historical movie, so we can say that it is... It's focused on a time in her, in her life which was a really hard time for her. So, she had suffered 17 miscarriages, which is just unbelievable heartache. Um, as well, she was kind of going through a time of turmoil. There was a war that was raging and she was being advised by, by people who, who 
through the film, maybe did they have her best interests at heart or was it kind of just about it? And it was really this power struggle between three women, which I found so interesting. And of course, the performances as well were absolutely outstanding. Chris, what did you think about it? Yeah, no, I loved it. I probably spent a little too much time at the beginning uh, looking for complications. And the reason for that is because I'm a huge fan of Yorgos Lanthimos' work. And if you've seen The Lobster with uh, Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz or The Killing of a Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell again, Barry Keoghan, Nicole Kidman, um, everything in his films and everyone in his films, they sort of exist in this uh, kind of Beckett or Twilight Zone sideways world. And everyone yeah. has a funny way of uh, saying things or, or behaving. Um, so with this, I thought, okay, well, this is going to be round three or round four. I think it's his fourth yeah, feature fourth film um, where everyone's a little bit odd. But I slowly realised this is very accessible yeah. and it's probably because I don't think Jorgis Lantimos wrote the script, but he still brought a little bit of a, a, a quirkiness to mm -hmm. it and he's also, you know, rounded up again another astonishing cast. Uh, but I loved it and I loved it because you know, we'll probably get into historical accuracies and all of that, you, you know, with, with with other royal films that are out at the moment, with the other historical-led dramas. Nobody was in that room with Queen Anne. Nobody knows the conversations that happened between Lady uh, Churchill and yeah. Abigail, Emma Stone's character. So it's kind of, everyone has free reign here. And Yorgos Lanthimos and his screenwriters, they've decided to just explore the really decadent side of everyone's personalities yeah. and the debauchery that went on and the horrible ways that, you know, these uh, women treated each other, there but also that was likeable about oh, yeah. any of them, to be honest with you. I kind of like the rabbits the best. That's not a spoiler, like, there's rabbits. Oh, yeah, rabbits. yeah. But I mean, <laughs> I, I really did think that you're right. They absolutely honed in on, on probably more of the obnoxious side of what these women were like. At, at one point, I think there was one scene where she's just running through the palace screaming because she didn't know where she was. And I just, I'm, I find it very hard to believe that that actually happened. But at the same time, it very well could have happened. We don't know. Oh, they didn't, her, her health really did decline in later years yeah. and she had mental health problems as well as physical ones. She had gone through the traumas of losing all so many children. Yeah. The one child that was born died shortly afterwards. Yeah. So she really was in a very bad state mm. and she was very much taken care of and cosseted so that people wouldn't see how how far she had fallen. Uh, so, but she definitely, I mean, I said there was a good chance that she, she did. When you think of like the madness of King George and the, yeah. the mad yeah. things he did. And I mean, there's accounts, I know it's, it's French, but Sir Louis XVI was famous for running through the gardens, raving like a lunatic. Yeah. So I think the royals kind of, they would have gotten away with doing some crazy things that we wouldn't see them doing today, yeah. for example. Is it kind of fair to say, Chris, that it's not a film for everybody? It's not, uh, but Yorgos Lanthimos' films are a little bit like that. I've, mm. I've talked to people who have uh, hated The Lobster, hated The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I've talked to people who just weren't on board with the favourites, that weren't able for One of the criticisms I heard was that the score is just constant. Do-do. Almost a little yeah. bit like a, a Jaws theme it to it. It puts you that, on edge. It does put you on edge, yeah. uh, but it's the performances that make it stand out. One of the things that I loved about it is there's uh, there's a, a, a quite a large uh, male cast in there as well. Mm -hmm. is, is Joe Alwyn in it? Yes, uh, Nicholas Holt? Told, told, um, yeah. But the men in this film are portrayed as Egypts because <laughs> oh, yeah. they were and still are. Whereas the women are, <laughs> the women are portrayed yeah, as we're getting the, to it. <laughs> we're getting to what we're all here to talk about. <laughs> but I do believe that the women in this film are portrayed as the ones who knew how to get things done, and yeah. that there comes a stage even where you know it's not a spoiler to, to say that Queen Anne was in a, a secret relationship with Lady Churchill, mm -hmm. uh, Rachel Weisz's character, who was her her confidant uh, and her secret lover, but also that a relationship ensued between Abigail and Queen Anne and although there was love there and but in most cases lust um, they still despised each other at yeah. times um, but they all had plans of how to uh, retain power and how to climb that social ladder particularly with the, with Abigail but just the things that these women would do for power they knew how to get stuff done and there was nothing that they wouldn't do to yeah. get there and that is the interesting thing there, there really wasn't anything there was they threw the rule book out they needed the power they wanted the power yeah. but I think it's partly to do with the fact that they knew that without power would come a great fall, particularly Abigail, who she was raised uh, sort of lower class nobility, mm. lost everything. And for her, if, if she was going to spend her life in the kitchen, if yeah. she didn't find a way up. And she also would have known that, that even the, a kitchen position was quite good compared to where she could have fallen. Absolutely. So in a way, they're, they're all people who knew what they could lose in terms of power, I think it's really interesting because that's kind of why I wanted to speak about the movies at the moment because there's so many 
historical films that show this power struggle with women. And the other one that's out at the moment is Mary, Queen of Scots. Now, I haven't seen the film yet, but by the time this comes out, it's going to be out in cinemas, so maybe I will have seen it, actually. It's hard sometimes to predict the future, but I, I'm going to see it as soon as I can. Um, and it's getting, it's getting really great reviews from critics, actually. And uh, Rory Cashin, who writes all about movies for Joe Dye, wrote a piece about it. Um, he actually said that Margot Robbie and Saoirse Ronan were the best things about a kind of average movie. So yeah. um, I don't know, like, is that something that we can expect? Because obviously everybody is just throwing Oscar at them and, and stuff like that. But I mean, you both have seen this yeah. movie. Yeah. So before we talk about kind of the, the theme of power within this movie as well as the favourite and more to come too, um, what did you guys think of, of the film in general? Well, I, th I think with Mary Queen Scots, this is probably the second Margot Robbie film that where a year before it's come out or even before it's made. Um, do you remember the Christopher Robin film that she made with Donald Gleeson? Yeah. You read so many news reports of, you know, Margot Robbie to star in Oscar tip film, Saoirse Ronan to star in Oscar tip film. So Margot Robbie and Saoirse Ronan have had this a lot. A year goes by, the film comes out, you know, you've heard so much buzz about it. And then you're disappointed to see this is quite an ordinary film. The performances in it are very good, but it's quite ordinary. And I think the reason for that is that, you know, and I don't want to be unfair to the, 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 the film's director, Josie Rourke. Mm -hmm. She kind of comes from uh, largely uh, a theatrical background. And while I was watching this, I kind of got the sense that this is almost like a filmed play. And things that might have worked on the stage are not coming across very well on screen. Wow. Um, and there's a clunkiness and a theatricality to the screenplay as well. Bowen Willimon actually wrote the screenplay. He's the uh, creator and the former showrunner of House of Cards. Okay. I think he left there before it all went a bit sideways at the end. But anyway, he wrote the screenplay. And again, there's this sort of... It's just stuck in second gear. Um, I don't know whether maybe if you had made a mini-series out of uh, Mary and Queen Elizabeth's story and you were able to give like the, the screenplay a bit more breathing space, mm. maybe that might have made a difference. But while I was watching it, I was just thinking, this is not everything I thought it was going to be. Yeah, because, I mean, the story is great, and that's the whole thing, you know, why I love what's happening at the moment in film, and I'm presuming that you're ecstatic about it as well because you love history. So, um, first off... Is it accurate or is it not accurate? It's not accurate in some parts. Um, and I, I have a funny thing about accuracy. I'm an archaeologist originally. Yeah. And I have a teeny tiny miniature theatre company and I create heritage and historical based theatre. Okay. And for me, if I'm writing a play based on anything historical, I my whole point is to try and make it accessible and educational. So I'm really driven by facts okay. and the accuracy in it. But I think when it comes to making a film, I think it's okay to take liberties if it isn't at, at sort of a straight biopic yeah. of something. So I think in the case of this, mm. I mean, there's, it, this, this, it's not a spoiler to say that this film is all about the kind of build up to the meeting between these two great women, yeah. which didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen and that was in the trailer. So I mean, yeah. I, I always thought that was kind of a weird one. But I think it's They quite, never met. Yeah, they mm. never met. But I think, and I actually quite liked the theatricality mm. of the film. And I've quite enjoyed that that's where Josie has come from, that background. And in some ways I thought it did kind of bring it a kind of, a, kind of a, it brought that theatrical end so I don't, I don't mind that it's not historically accurate, as long as, as long as people like me and Chris refer to the fact that it's not historically right. accurate, so people don't think they're going in for an exact history lesson. Yeah. And what about the men in this movie? Are they acting like Egypts as well, or are they are they holding their own a little bit? Because actually, in the favourite. Um, Speaking of historical inaccuracies, Queen Anne did have a husband who yeah, we, yes. we didn't see him. He was one iota. He was ill and and sort of left. So she cared for him. So he didn't yeah. have any power at that point. He wasn't seen in court. He wasn't seen by society. No. Wasn't even mentioned. He wasn't in the movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, away. Yeah. Um, um, but that's okay. I mean, but, I suppose uh, but, for the point of the film, it, it didn't have any basis like, on the story. But uh, Nicholas Holt's character, it, he plays a sort of twenty-something-year-old, very handsome man. Yeah. He was in fact in his late forties, and by court accounts of the day was not blessed by a fortunate looks. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I mean, they, chiseled by God yes, like Nicholas yeah. Holt is. Yeah. But I think that's okay sometimes. I mean, to uh, borrow some words from the great Mark Kermode, um, I think he was talking before um, about how you can tell the true story exactly as it happened. For instance, I could tell you 
you know, what time I got up at this morning, what I had for breakfast, what bus route I took into work, what I did in work. And I could tell you it exactly as it happens and it'll be true, but it might not be entertaining. But I could sprinkle a little bit of drama in there, a little bit, you know, exaggerate things. And that makes for a better story. That's what audiences want. So sometimes when I'm looking at a, uh, a historical drama, particularly one about royals, even if you're watching something like The Crown, I'm not really asking myself, did this really happen like this? Yeah. I'm just saying, am I entertained? Is this clever writing? Is it is it is it being done well? And I think Mary Queen of Scots, despite the fact that it hangs on this convergence, this hangs on this epic meeting, this showdown between Queen Elizabeth and uh, Mary Stuart, that never happened. That was okay for me. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a funny one to even to say, but it is because it does work. And we know, I mean, there's a lot of back and forth with their letters, but those letters exist. So yeah. we know that they, they wrote to each other a lot. They conversed a lot. Mm. So no, it's not that hard to imagine that if yeah. they had their way, they, they did have a meeting. In this review that Rory wrote, though, he did say as well that, like, you know, the performances by Sarah Sharon and Margot Robbie are absolutely incredible. Um, but he did say as well, and I'm quoting him directly now, he's going to have to pay me a commission for the amount <laughs> I'm talking about him in this episode. Um, but he says that Saoirse won't get the Oscar for four big reasons, and that's Lady Gaga, Olivia Colman, Glenn Close and Viola Davis. And I mean, that's kind of a heartbreaking sentence because Saoirse is obviously an Irish actress and she's been nominated a ridiculous amount of times for Oscars since she was 13. And now she's only 24 or something mm. like that, which just makes me feel very inadequate in every part of my I life. Know, it's just... It's it's dreadful. Yeah. I mean, but I'm <laughs> well done for her though. Congratulations. Absolutely. All, like, but, huge yeah. congratulations. But I mean, do you think Rory's right? Do you think that this is probably just going to be a little bit of hype and that nothing's going to come from it? I, I'm not. It's oh. a hard one to call because she's mesmerizing me in this. She really yeah. is. Yeah. I actually think it's possibly her strongest performance yet. She's so short, so confident, mm. so strong. And also, very, she's very vivacious and quite very sensual as well. And, and I just think it really is. It is an amazing performance. But I keep thinking Olivia Coleman. I mean, how do you beat Olivia Coleman? I, I think the two of them are incredible in it. Uh, Margot Robbie at times is actually better, but they're determined, they're invested, they have charisma, whereas the other characters don't. But if you take it, I mean, it's probably unfair to compare it to The Favourite, but that's what we're doing. In The, <laughs> in the Favourite, Emma Stone's character, Abigail, she literally arrives literally covered in shit. Yes, and Emma Stone was incredible in that movie. Oh and my she God. has this good, uh, you know, path to follow where she ascends to a powerful position. And then Rachel Weisz's character is powerful at the beginning and then the cracks begin to show there's a proper journey there whereas mm. with Mary Queen of Scots we are presented with the two monarchs and they never change throughout they never really have any sort of emotional arc or emotional mm. journey and I just thought the characterization is what lets it, let the, the screenplay let, uh, let the two wonderful performers down so they are wonderful performances but they're hampered by a very ordinary screenplay yeah. I think to, slight, to slightly contradict. Right. <laughs> Sorry, no. just, just slightly. Contradict I think, <laughs> Excellent. I think in the case of Elizabeth's story, though, we do see a side to her that we haven't seen on screen before. Mm -hmm. uh, the effects of the pox, losing her hair, and those realisations that she is a woman of a certain age, that having a child and marrying something is going to seriously take away her power. And so, she, yeah, and yeah. she chose not to do that in yeah, order I mean, to maintain was, her power. It was such a dangerous thing to do, to have a child and to marry. She realised what she was going to give up. So we do see certain parts of her kind of quite vulnerable and and just af afraid of losing her strength. I mean, when she initially, after the pox, her skin was in bits yeah. and the, the court was trying to keep people away from seeing her. So there was mm. that. And I think that we don't see enough of it, perhaps. Uh, but there certainly is some of those elements in there where, yeah, I suppose Mary's story, she's quite self-assured from the start and she just kind of continues on a, a self-assured streak. Yeah. Now, at this very moment, I haven't seen the movie, but, um, you know, from the trailer and from a few of the reviews that I've read, they do talk about how these two formidable women are essentially trying to be influenced by a rake of men. Now, is that something that is like a big theme throughout the movie? And is it something that we kind of see them like in The Favourite? You know, men really did only play the part of kind of the jester in it. Like, at the end of the day, Olivia Colman stood up and said, as Queen Anne, what I'm going to say is going to be rule. Now, obviously, that wasn't coming necessarily from her. It was coming from the influences she had, but they were from women. So, I mean... Are the men in this movie portrayed in a manner of trying to influence these incredibly historically powerful women? They are. There's a, so David Tennant plays a character, uh, Knox, who was anti-women for a start. He was also anti-Catholics and he very much is trying to rally the troops to... Oh, that's not to, good for yeah, Saoirse. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he's, he's, his language towards women is quite horrifying. Right. Um, 
But the, the, the one of the things that I find, in a way, I, I've uh, hitting the mic now, sorry. <laughs> I find it quite hard in some ways to see these incredibly strong women who still had to bow down to men in certain circumstances and without being spoilery. Yeah. I mean, Mary witnesses something incredibly horrible mm -hmm. that her as a, as a queen has no power to stop because the men around her make a decision. And a few, again, so it's hard not to be spoilery, but a few, basically a, a few things that happen, mm. they're all still being directed by men. And no matter how many times she, she can stand strongly and say, I am your queen, this is the way things are going to be done. They still have so much power over her. And I, I just, I, I actually find it quite hard to watch yeah. though. Yeah. I was thinking you're literally the most powerful you can be and you're still in the situation where you're, you're, you're being directed by them. Or at least in a way, Elizabeth was very much controlled by a male court arranger, mm. but at the end of the day, she had her own say. Yeah. They would never, the things that happened to Mary, they never would have dreamt of doing to Elizabeth. Because yeah. uh, her power just was that great. But she still had to listen to them. Yeah. And, I did find that quite interesting, that particularly with John Knox's character and David Tennant just yeah, goes for just, it as yeah, well. Yeah, he just eats um, it up around himself, yeah. Yeah, John Knox's film would be very entertaining. <laughs> uh, but the way that they just see these two monarchs as uh, figureheads and nothing more, yeah. and that if they shout at them loud enough, they'll change their minds, and that they're horrified then to discover that it doesn't matter how much we chip away at this, it's not going to yeah. change. These two women are not going to, to stand down. And that was interesting to watch. Yeah. As interesting as it is in The Favourite as well, because Nicholas Holt's character is portraying this uh, you know petulant uh, uh, parliament figure who's trying to you know uh, knock them down yeah. off the off their off their throne. So you've got that going on in Mary Queen of Scots, and that is interesting. Yeah. Um, so again, yeah, the men are portrayed as yeah. quite nasty. Yeah, it's worse. Yeah, whereas the favourites are they're a little bit they're a bit daft and yeah. silly. Whereas yeah, they're quite sinister in this. We're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, it's Oscar season. So uh, this week, the Oscar nominations are out. So we're going to talk a little bit about who you think is going to take it and maybe a few shocks as well. Uh, we're also going to talk about female remakes because I just want to. So uh, <laughs> randomly enough now, we're going to take a break. And earlier in the week, I was joined by magician and mentalist Keith Barry. He has a new show out. It's called Deception and it's a nationwide tour. And um, yeah, I cursed a little bit. So in enjoy this. I'm joined now by magician, mentalist, Hypnotist and escapologist Keith Barry. Keith, did I get all those words right? You pretty much did, yes. Did yes, I? absolutely. Some people get the mentalist one wrong. They call me mental rather than <laughs> mentalist. But uh, yeah, you got them all right. Which one do you prefer? What's your kind of MO? Well, I just see myself as two things now, really an entertainer mm -hmm. and a mind coach. So for me, all of those you know, terminologies, they kind of describe what I do. Um, so yeah, entertainer, mentalist, magician. I'm not precious about it because I do all of these different things, you know? Yeah, and you do all of these within your shows. And it's so funny, you've got a new show now which we're going to talk yeah. about. It's called Deception. Um, but you're you're very well known in Ireland. You're definitely the most well-known magician, I would say, in Ireland. You've obviously, you've toured around the world as well. Um, so I don't necessarily want to ask you how you started in it because everybody knows you got that magic set when you were yeah, five. Yeah, like yeah. We, we all know that. So just tell us about what's different now with the show and how you keep it fresh. Well, it's important to me that every year I change the show, not on just last year, but on all previous years. So you mentioned you had a show of mine a number of years ago. Yeah. So this show will be even different than that show. So I make sure that I keep a bank of all my material that I've done. And then when I start writing a show, I always come up with the title first. Okay. So the title of this show is Deception. And then I investigate deception from all kind of different angles. So I investigated everything from cults to conspiracy theories, all the way through to, you know, the fact that we're being deceived through social media, obviously, and fake news, but then through our friends, our family, and even ourselves. Yeah. So the biggest form of deception is self-deception. So then the material comes out of that. And with this particular show, I've got all kinds of weird, uh, uh, sometimes very funny uh, material, sometimes very serious material. So, for example, I investigated the Jonestown Massacre, which happened in 1978, where Jim Jones convinced all of his followers to drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, I don't remember that, but I'm obsessed with that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, and people are familiar with it, and you know, hence the term drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. But the Kool-Aid was laced with cyanide, yeah. and ultimately 900 of his followers died. And my question that I pose in the show is, how could one person deceive so many? Yeah. And then I perform an acid 
Russian roulette in the show based on that. So uh, sulfuric acid and water are poured into glasses. The sulfuric acid, we perform a chemical reaction to show it's the real deal. And then ultimately that gets, the two glasses get mixed on a, a lazy Susan. And so you can't figure out which one is which. And then ultimately at the end of the show, someone is invited to drink. No, see, I was just, I was about to say, I hope that's not audience participation. I it hope is. That's you. It just... is, because the question is, can I convince somebody to drink the, the, the potentially cooler, yeah. either the cool, well, sulfuric acid in this case, or a glass of water, not knowing which is which. And, you know, the answer out of eight shows is seven of eight people have drank so far. Oh and uh, And I do that as a portion of the show where ultimately I become like a, a puppeteer yeah. and I take somebody from the audience and they become a puppet. But here's the thing, it's important for people to realise because that can sound quite scary sometimes to mm -hmm. people that uh, with this particular show, people are invited up to participate only if they want to participate. So right. if you don't want to participate and you don't want your mind controlled or wiped or messed with, then you don't have to come up. You can kick back and relax and just enjoy the show. And the thing is, I get enough people every night that want to come up anyway, that so it's not, fine. Yeah. And then you get skeptics wanting to come up as well because they're thinking, oh, you know, I, I don't believe any of this stuff. See, you know? I was going to ask you about that. So obviously the name of the show is Deception. So yeah. you're, you're saying out loud straight away that I'm about to deceive you. Yep. And you've also in your entire career, you've never said that you're a mind reader. You've never said that you're a psychic. Nope. You've actually said the opposite. Yeah, you've yeah. said that you are using tricks of the trade and things that you've learned over the years Absolutely, to yeah. manipulate and to kind of be able to get people to do things. Yeah. So how then do you still have skeptics coming up and being like, well, you're full of bullshit. Like you're you're telling us you're full of bullshit. Oh yeah, no, no, I, like uh, absolutely. And Not it, saying you're a bullshitter, but you well, know. Well, I am, I mean. yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, ultimately I'm an entertainer. So I use a whole host of different techniques to do that. Yeah. So I use magic techniques, I use trickery, but I also use real techniques such as neuro-linguistic programming, psychology, hypnosis, and all of those mixed together right. can make for an entertaining show, but also a show where if people see the improbable or the impossible, their mind can't, when you can't figure something out, very often the skeptics just go, well, it has to be a setup, it has to be a stooge, because there's no other way. That's yeah. what they think. So I go to great lengths in the show to prove, for want of better terminology, that these people are just real people. It could be you, it could be your brother, your mother, your sister, your father, who lands on that stage. And I encourage people in the audience to talk to the people who've just been on stage in the first half. In the first half, about 20 people land on the stage. Right. I say find them at half time, uh, you know, talk to them. But ultimately, you know, for me, it's once you see the reactions of the people on yeah. stage, then you know it's real. And, and that's where I, I invite people. So there's not a routine in deception where I invite five people up on the stage and I gamble 10,000 euros cash of my own money on this particular demonstration. So I get five people up and four of them have to lie to me. One tells the truth uh, in this particular game that we're playing. And if I can't figure out who's lying and who's telling the truth, they get 10 grand cash. So that- I would smash that game. Oh yeah, you see- yeah, I'm an amazing liar. Yeah, so, but here's the interest. Well, we, we might test you in a while, but here's the thing. <laughs> but here's the thing, like I, that encourages the skeptics up. Okay. And then when you fool the skeptics, everybody knows again that it's real. And you know, and I love that. And you know, we talked about social media a little bit off Air, yeah. But ultimately, you know, we're in a world where we kind of know that we're being deceived through fake news and whatever. But uh, more importantly, we're deceiving ourselves yeah. because we're taking all these Instagram photographs all day, every day. We're adding to our stories. But most of the time, like 99.99% of the time, they're all positive and beautiful because they're airbrushed and they're yeah, you know, filtered. But behind the scenes, you've got two sick, crying kids, you know, waiting for their dinner and you've got the dishes to be done. But you've got somebody, you know, either mother or father standing there pouting their lips while all this other shit's going on in the background. Yeah. So ultimately, we're kind of deceiving ourselves, perpetuating this myth that we all have these perfect lives. And, you know, we all talk about putting up quality content on our media channels, but if you look at the bigger ones out there, it's absolute crap that's up there. Yeah, you know? so, I mean, fair point. You speak as well, well, you've spoken in, in the past a little bit about subliminal advertising and, yeah. and kind of the amount that we're influenced without even realizing it. And that's a huge amount of what you do as well with yep. your like kind of brain hacking stuff yeah, yeah. that you do. Um, what exactly do you mean by that? As in, I kind of want to know how much I'm subliminally being influenced on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh yeah, well, we're, we're being kind of got at uh, yeah. through all these different channels, you know, 
uh, neuromarketing and neuropsychology is huge now. So all of the bigger companies, they're hiring neuroscientists to figure out how to make us addicts to certain things. So no, for example, not. oh yeah, no, big time. Oh, it's a huge industry now. What? Absolutely. You think Facebook is just like a bunch of tech nerds programming Facebook? Yeah. No, no, it's not. Uh. They figure out how to give you dopamine dumps. So you feel it. So for example, with, with social media, uh, we all feel like we're missing something mm -hmm. if we're not checking it all the time. That's not a mistake. That was done by neuroscientists and neuropsychologists designed that way so that every time that you check Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you get a dopamine dump in your brain. So ultimately, you need to keep coming back for that dopamine hit. So we are addicted. Oh, completely addicted, yeah. So that's one way you're being got at is through neuroscience. Neuro I mean, it's a massive business now. Yeah. Um, color psychology is another huge thing. Like, it's not a mistake. Uh, yeah, the McDonald's colors also, even Supermax, like the colors of all these different brands, Abracadabra, who I work with, you know, the, the colors that they choose and pick, they're not a mistake. They hire color psychologists to help them pick these colors. Yeah. Um, I've heard about that with politicians' ties. I've heard that yeah, there's... Yeah, I've talked about that in, in the past. Have like really? during Obama's first uh, 10 days in office, he wore blue ties on nine days and he wore red tie only one day. But here's the interesting thing. If you look at the footage of him, yeah. all of his speeches match up to the colors of his ties, meaning uh, he wore blue to create empathy with the people. Mm -hmm. And he was talking very, you know, kind of uh, passionately about, you know, how he's going to reform things and whatever. But then ultimately when he wore the red tie, it was a very strong statement that he needed to make. And he was kind of basically telling the, the audience, telling the American people the way he was going to take control. Wow. So that matched up with the color of his tie. He didn't choose his ties. I'm pretty sure of it. Like there's no evidence of this, but you know, I'm pretty sure he wasn't choosing his ties in those days. And then he was we're, told. yeah, and we're being influenced without even yeah. really realizing. Oh, it's massive. It. And so again, and again, like that's why, you know, uh, with appetite, um, and stuff like that very often blue is used because we love the color blue because yeah. the sky when it's blue we, We're happy and whatever. So ultimately that's why a lot of the food packaging is done in blue um, Green is obviously representative of not only wealth but power as well yeah. So uh, sometimes and you know uh, If uh, if you're buying like a high-end watch very often that's gold and black is kind of the classical mm. color of elegance and wealth um, but all of these things can be done subliminally as well. Yeah. It's quite frightening when you delve into it as much as I have, you know? Absolutely. Let's talk about your industry a little bit. I just want to know, because obviously industry is kind of more mainstream ones than, say, magicians. Yeah. It's constantly evolving and you're constantly having to kind of, you know, I suppose keep up with yeah. the changing world of whatever industry you're in. So how do you... Or are there kind of new magicians who are coming up now that are completely changing the game? And, and how do you kind of stack up against that pressure? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I suppose the big pressure now is really the onslaught of social media. Yeah. And, and the battle there a little bit is a lot of the people out there are being deceived by certain so-called magicians on social media who are quite big on social media. Now, are these pretending to do magic? Is that kind of yeah, so full-on magic, like Harry Potter wizard shit? Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of guys out there who are doing tricks where, you know, they'll do something with a lollipop, we'll say, right? Okay. And then this person here, whoever it is, in this case it would be you, um, you know, they scream and run away and they knock over the cameras. Okay. That's not real. Okay. Right. But these guys are getting millions of followers because people at home are being deceived by them. Yeah. But what's really going on is that that person is, is being paid like $20 off camera and they're being tutored off camera in how to react to the magic. So basically the, the magician says to the person, OK, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do a trick. And when I do this with the lollipop and I'm going to show you exactly what's going to happen, the lollipop is going to change into the head of Superman. And when that happens, you're going to scream and you're going to run that way and make sure you knock over both cameras as you scream and right. run that so it's way. it's highly produced. Yeah, yeah. but it's sneakily produced from that regard yeah. and people are buying into it they think these re reactions are real where they're, whereas they're not real um, so that's kind of a bit of a battle now because like how do I compete against them and the only thing that I can do is stay true to myself yeah. and, and hope that people enjoy it you know because uh, and ultimately like when you see these guys then in an environment that's outside of their control mm. as in her.ie girls you know yeah. um, uh, the reactions are very different yeah. and sometimes they, they really can't do their magic they're, they're not that good you know um, so that's one thing and then, but then you've got other people who are, are, are very good at what they do like Dynamo is a good example like I know mm -hmm. him very well um, and he popped big uh, mainly through his social channels yeah. again but he can actually do good magic he's a yeah. solid magician uh, you know and he, and he jumped straight into doing arenas um, 
So I think for me, to go back to it, it's all about being unique, different, coming up with new material all the time. That's why I'm very proud of my live shows. And that's where I stand, I suppose, different from most of the crowd, is that I can do what I say I do, and I can do it in a live environment, random, um, yeah. and produce a good you know, two and a half hour theatrical entertainment in front of 2,000 people, you know? Absolutely. That's terrifying. I don't know how you do <laughs> I love it. That's the favourite part of what I do. I mean, do you feel pressure to, to shock people? Because I know, and I've seen in, in kind of past interviews that you've done as well, it's like, this is your job. This is what you've been doing since you were very young. Yeah. Um, like, this is my job. This is what I do. But like, my job doesn't freak people the fuck out yeah, like, yeah. And, and have them running off screaming and that kind of stuff. Do you feel that pressure to kind of continue to shock or do you just know yourself that you're going to be able to do that? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel the pressure to shock. I feel the pressure to amaze, amuse, hopefully astound uh, and inspire people as well. So very often I, I, give, I pepper my shows with things that I at least hope are inspirational. But on the flip side of that, for years I've been doing big stunts yeah. and networks want that. I mean, okay. so that's driven by television and TV driven by kind of side of it, yeah. producers. So especially in America where I still do a lot of work, you know, very often it's what's the big thing? Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's always what's the big thing? And I, and I quite enjoy that part of what I do. So, you know, I suppose one of the better stunts that I've done over the last number of years wasn't televised actually. It was down in Waterford where 10,000 people uh, witnessed me being put in a, a in a straight jacket, wrapped with a hundred foot of rope. My head was wrapped in cling film. And then I was hoisted 250 foot in the air um, by a crane. And ultimately I couldn't see, I couldn't breathe because of the cling film. The idea is that I had to get out of the straight jacket and all this stuff yeah. to get the cling film off my face because they wouldn't have been able to get me down quick enough if I'd passed out. And Woody Harrelson came over from that, added to the whole thing. So that was kind of an amazing moment. Just 10,000 people cheering, going crazy. And I've, you know, just more recently on my uh, RT New Year's Eve special, mm -hmm. I did a, a stunt where I was underwater for a minute 40. But again, I don't think people realize when you're crushed over, cramped over in a box like that for a minute 40, holding your breath, um, I mean, you're doing kind of a bit of damage to yourself. I just had to get a scan underneath my rib cage because I have a detached rib now underneath my rib what they call a floating rib. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that that's from that stunt. So I think sometimes... <laughs> when, but I think when sometimes people look at this stuff, they go, well, I'm sure he's fine. You know? yeah. But I've been... In, my body's pretty broken up from the stuff I've done. I can't you know? watch the um, the escape things. It gives me so much anxiety. I can't watch yeah. it. I saw there was one lad on, on Britain's Got Talent, I think it was, and like that was an underwater thing. I just can't... I can't look at it because like I've... You know when you fall deep into a, a wiki page or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going deep on like magicians. <laughs> who've died, who've oh, died yeah, from that see, kind of stuff. Yeah, and there yeah. are people who die from that shit. Well, so. unfortunately, you can see one online dying. You know, there's one up on YouTube. It probably should be taken down, but yeah. ultimately he did the famous Buried Alive stunt where he was in a glass casket and they poured cement in on top of him and you just see this pop. You just see a kind of a bubble coming up and that's it. He's dead. Oh. You know, the cement went in on yeah. top of him and unfortunately he died. And yeah, I mean, Jonathan Pentdragon's been badly injured yeah. not so long ago uh, and loads of magicians have died over the years. I, again... Yeah, so obviously don't try anything that Keith does ever at home. Um, just don't... Yeah, try it in your neighbour's house instead. Yeah, you know, don't, don't try it. And <laughs> um, there was another show as well that I remember watching when I was younger and it was, I think it was an American show. I can't remember the name of it, but it was these massive tricks like you were just saying there, but it was kind of debunking them all and it was revealing them. Oh, yeah, the mass magician. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I think that's... What do you think about those kind of things? What do you think about people who kind of are revealing the tricks of the trade, essentially? Well, it's a double-edged sword, really. You know, one, you know, magic, I have a passion for magic and mentalism, hypnotism, all of the allied mystery arts. Yeah. And I, and I love what I do. And look, magic is about keeping secrets a secret. But ultimately, we're in a world now where it's very hard to keep a secret because you've got so much access to information. Mm -hmm. Um you know, when the mass magician came out, magicians were up in arms and everything. But ultimately, he was kind of exposing the the pretty standard magic tricks that none of us should really be doing anymore. Right, okay. So the linking rings and, and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, even as kids magicians, we shouldn't be, you know, kids magicians shouldn't be doing that anymore. It's kind of stale now. Some magicians will call that a classic of magic. Mm. It's not a classic anymore. So, you know, he kind of exposed that kind of stuff. So then I suppose the professionals in the industry, uh, me being included, we decided like, 
well, actually, let's make this help us. In other words, let's develop our own techniques, our own tools, our own secrets, so that ultimately we can't be busted out yeah. because people don't genuinely don't know how we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. So I suppose in one way, of course, it was bad because he was exposing secrets and whatever. But then on the other side of that, ultimately, you know, we probably became better magicians because of it. Because now, you know, you can't just Google how uh, Dynamo does what, he's, uh, what he does. You can't yeah. Google how I do what I do because ultimately we're coming up with our own tools and techniques that yeah. people don't know how we're doing it, you know. Absolutely. You mentioned there as well that Woody Harrelson was over for a trick that you did. So you met him through the movie franchise, which you were a yeah. consultant on and it was Now You See Me, one and two. So we were talking a little bit off air about it. Is there going to be a third or can we expect more from yeah, that? Yeah, I think there will be a third. It's taking a while to, you know, Hollywood doesn't work uh, and sometimes it works really quick and then sometimes it works really, really slow. Yeah. Um, so, look, the rumblings are there's going to be a number three. Uh, I've been in contact with Lionsgate and the writer Ed Solomon was over recently uh, to my house and Woody Harrelson was in, in my house not so long ago as well. I brought him to Searson's pub on Baggage <laughs> nice. Street for a couple of points. And uh, so, yeah, I think there will be a number three and if there is, uh, I'll definitely be involved Amazing. as well. So Is it frustrating, frustrating rather trying to teach people who aren't magicians how to do tricks or was it not at all it was great fun yeah. uh, especially you know with those actors they're such professionals mm. and look Lizzie Kaplan was amazing she wanted to learn how to produce doves so I taught her how to produce doves for Now You See Me Too and then you know Woody really wanted to learn mentalism and hypnotism which basically meant me and Woody Harrelson going out in London late at night to bars and him trying this stuff on real people, which was great fun. Just got to hang out with Woody if in Woody bars. If Woody Harrelson and... came up to me in a bar, I would be so, i just say yes to whatever. Like I'd be like, yeah, I'm absolutely, you're reading my mind 100%. But here's the interesting thing. So he was invited on David Letterman uh, to promote the movie. And, you know, Letterman wanted him to do something on him. And there was this whole thing of what, what he was going to do. So ultimately I taught him this trick and he went on Letterman and he destroyed Letterman with this trick. And oh, you could really? see Letterman, because Letterman's not a fan of magicians. He always yeah. likes to try and bust magicians out. Mm -hmm. That's why David Blaine has never been on Letterman. He never went on because Letterman is unkind to magicians. He's not kind to them. So uh, I think he was going to try and bust Woody out. Right. But the trick was so good that he just caught Letterman off guard. And you can see it, it's up on YouTube. Yeah. And you know, Letterman was really, really amazed at the trick that Woody did, you know? Amazing. Um, right, we're gonna get a trick from you now, I think. Oh, absolutely. But before we do one, uh, do tell us about how people can get more information about your show. So Deception, it's running till like mid-March, isn't that right? Yeah, March 16th, we finish in Cork, in the Everyman in Cork. They're nearly sold out. Still a few tickets available yeah, for so those. Yeah, so it's nationwide. Nationwide tour, I'm up in Galway. We go all over the country. I've got two more in the Olympia February 1st and 2nd. I was just in Olympia last Friday. Yeah. Uh, I was completely sold at amazing night. And uh, February 1st and 2nd though, uh, still just a few tickets left okay. for both of those dates. So all the dates are up on keithbarry.com, also MCD. And then of course you can follow me on Instagram, Keith Barry Official there. So Mad the about the there. social media. Yes, I love it, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing, I'm gonna pull in this table. Okay. Um, so psychics, you mentioned psychics earlier, yeah. okay? And I've kind of looked at psychics and examined psychics and uh, just a personal thing. Uh, I, Do I you yet, believe in them? No, I've yet to find a psychic that I, I see is even close to what I would believe is the real thing. Okay. And, but I'm just kind of interested in them. And for years, psychics have used various tools and techniques to apparently divine uh, the future or read somebody's mind. Mm -hmm. So they've used crystal balls. We know about those. We've, they've also used like tea leaves. Tea have you heard? Leaves, yeah, 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 tea leaves reading. But here's the interesting thing. It all kind of stemmed from the shamans in the Amazon. And the shamans in the Amazon, if you Google it or find out, uh, they used to break off twigs off of certain trees and they would shake those up and they would throw them down and then ultimately they would give a reading based on the way that the twigs would land based on the way the person would throw them. Okay. So we're going to try that with you. Uh, I don't have twigs, but I've got these, just little coloured sticks. Okay. okay. And I'm going to give you a bunch of these. We won't use all of them. We'll use about half of them. And I want you to shake these between your hands. So grab them between both hands and just shake them up and down a bunch okay. of times. What if I do this wrong? Don't worry about it. Okay. Just shake, shake, shake. Now, look at me. As you shake, just take a deep breath in and out and close your eyes, close your eyes. Okay, and I want you to focus on somebody, you're dropping loads of them by the way, so just keep them between your fists, that's okay. No, that's okay, just try not to drop too many. I told you, I fucking Don't drop any, just, yeah. Okay. And in your mind, as you shake them, I want you to think of somebody that you haven't called in a while. Okay, okay focus on that person, mm -hmm. whoever he or she is, and now open your eyes and just toss the six down the table. There we go, okay, good. All right, so let me have a look at the way these have landed, and hopefully these will give me some kind of clue as to uh, this person, whoever he or she is. Now, if I look at it this way with you, 
Just yes or no. I'm seeing that that looks like a T right there. Just yes or no, is there a T in this person's name? Yep. Yes, good. Okay, now focus on all of the, oh yeah, so I'm right next to the, the T. There's just one stick landing this way. So there's definitely an I in A. There is an I in A, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Yes, good. Okay, and let's focus now around, uh, let's see what other letters I can see here. I'm just trying to figure out, oh, if I look this way, I don't know if you can see it, oh, it's upside down. If I look this way, that looks like an E. There's an E in the person's name as well, is that correct? <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay, hang on. And that, I, I don't, you can see it very clearly from your side. See the two purple ones? That's definitely, that looks like a V to me. Is there a V in the person's name? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to de decipher based on those letters, um, a name. Focus on the name of the person, but don't say it out loud. And this is a person that you haven't talked to in quite a while. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to write it down. Look at me, oh, yeah, I'm going to go for this. Okay, based on the way those landed, and you could have thought of anybody, yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and it's important for people at home, you didn't tell me the name of this person, you didn't tell anybody here the name of this person. Okay, for the first time, name out loud, who is this person? Stevie. Stevie? Yeah. Stevie. How'd you spell it? S-T-E-V-I, it's a weird spelling. Oh, okay. Mm. Exactly what I got. <laughs> Whoa. Stevie. Stevie, it's a girl, yeah. Stevie. College friend, haven't called her in a while. She's going to give you a call straight after this, <laughs> straight after this show. You're going to reconnect and she's going to bring you for dinner. Oh my God, that's mental. How did you get that? Can you tell us? It was in the sticks. Oh, come on. <laughs> that's mad. It's the ultimate deception. Okay, so that was Keith Barry there. Do you believe in magic? Real quick. It's a bit hard not to. I want to. <laughs> so do I. That's, yeah, that's pretty much it. I want to. I love, what I love about Keith is that he admits that um, he's not a mind reader, that he's not psychic. He literally just knows how to influence people. But how? I don't, I don't, I don't get how it works. Just oh, it's, a, it's a craft. Yeah. I, I, I respect the hours that have gone into it. Oh, the years. Yeah. Like the but absolute, just, yeah. I'm boggled by anybody who doesn't like how, just, I always think about if I had the gifts that he has in terms of being able to read people and being able to like tell what people are thinking, I would just go around doing that all day. I wouldn't put on shows, I wouldn't show anybody, oh, I would just... Oh, that'd be amazing. Oh yeah, like I would... Secret superpower. I think what I would be doing is using it for evil if we really think about it. Okay. So he can get like pin codes and stuff. Right, I would far never too much do that. that. I wouldn't even thought of that. Yeah, no, me neither. I would never think of that. That's oh. so weird. I don't know why you would say that, Car. And now it's on camera forever. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that I kind of want to talk about, just quickly moving away from that. Um, <laughs> so in 2018, we saw a huge amount of female remakes uh, of the Hollywood blockbuster. Um, I saw an interesting article about it actually, and it basically the headline read, no more uh, but with women remakes, just make better movies for women. And I just thought that was interesting because there does seem to be four and against arguments when it comes to this kind of thing. Uh, so Ocean's 8 was one of them that was remade specifically for women. It did absolutely incredible at the box office. It really did, it, it like completely cleaned up. Um, and I think that's kind of like, I think the the stats that were coming out was that like, yeah, a huge amount of the tickets were sold to women. You know, women want to watch women on screen. Um, but then the other aspect is, is it lazy filmmaking? Are you literally just taking the same stories and regurgitating them like what they did with Overboard, let's be honest, and they just flip reverse the roles? I haven't seen either movie. I go back and forth on this one quite a lot. I went, okay. Particularly with Oceans, when you think about it, Oceans 11, where this all began, was in fact a remake of the old men original oceans anyway. That's true. So in some ways, like predominantly men have been remaking men's films for years anyway. Yeah. So part of me thinks, right, you're gonna remake something, then why not? And there is the part of me that says, yeah, just start making better films for women. For women. But you could say that for everything. Mm. That there's this remake culture that we've fallen into has gone. Mm. Just, it's gone too far at this point. Yeah, and I mean like, for example, some of them are, are not good. Like some of them no. just are not good remakes. And I'm not saying that they absolutely have to be, like some of them are just fun, you know? But like the Ghostbusters remake, I tried to watch that four times and I actually- you tried to I watch it. I couldn't get through it. <laughs> I kept leaving the room like, and then wow. I was like, oh, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Cause I love Melissa McCarthy and I'm obsessed with that. With like a lot of them are, are SNL veterans. And I was like, this is yeah. going to be great. And it wasn't. And it, it just, I've never had to come back to a movie so often that I did with Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's, that's and I was really lot. trying to enjoy it. And I was, finally I watched it and I was just like, well, that's 
four days of my life that I'll never get back. I wish they'd put that on the poster. I thought it was going to be great. It wasn't. <laughs> but uh, I remember watching Ocean's 8 and thinking, this is absolutely fine. And it's not great. That's what you want. Yeah, but it's it's not it's not, not great because yeah, it's got a female exactly. cast. It's just the way, it's just the screenplay. It's, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's fun. You can have fun and have fun night out of it. But apart from Ocean's 11, which I think is just, I loved it. They all kind of went a bit bad screenplay as they went down the line. Actually, one but, of the biggest problems I had with Ocean's 8 was the fact that I thought that unbelievable cast, not one of them looks as though they're having uh, a, a cracking time with it. And that's a very big I thing. I thought Kate Blanchett did look like she was. I just thought I she was just having... bored with it. I know, I just thought she looked like she was really relishing it. using the motorbike and doing things that she never really gets a chance to do. So I didn't think she looked like she was having fun. But I mean, that's one of the things that is said in favour of these kind of remakes. Like, we are now becoming a society where essentially women are being offered the opportunity to be in roles that were historically always given to men. So if you want to look at it from that point of view, that's fantastic. You want to look at it from the other point of view, it's pretty cack, as in like, no, we should probably do better. But I think with the movies that we talked about in the first half show, we are doing better. Like, Absolutely. you know, there I mean, are yeah. incredible roles out there now for women and there are women that are doing incredible things in film. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of looking at it both yeah, ways. I mean, there's always there's always going to be dodgy remakes. There's always going to be films that are made yeah. purely for, for fun. There's always going to be bad films made. I'll never really understand why that happens. Because yeah. who, <laughs> who pays to make a bad film? But And then there's the, there is the opportunity to make some really amazing films. So I think, I mean, there's, there's a bit of a room. There's a box for everyone, really. Yeah, I think I read that article that you were talking about and it kind of reminded me of uh, poor Steven Spielberg a couple of years back who was asked a question as to whether Indiana Jones could ever be uh, female. Mm. And he answered by saying, yeah, but we'd have to rename her Indiana Jones. And I thought... That's his surname. <laughs> Why do you have to change it? I was clearly, you know, obviously the brain just stopped yeah, working it was there for just a one second. Of those. Um, but whenever um, we're asked, you know, do, uh, should there be a female Bond? Um, should, uh, you know, our superheroes, you know, could you turn, could it be Iron Woman? Could it be Spider Woman? Uh, even though those characters do exist in the comic books, will they ever be they on film? They did it with Doctor Who. They did it with Doctor Who. The thing that I am always asking is, why can't there just be original characters? Um, and, you know, film, like uh, something like, I know Wonder Woman's been an existing property for what 50 60 yeah. 70 mm -hmm. years um but it made a fortune at the box office it was written and directed by patty jenkins an unbelievably talented the, filmmaker the fact that it took so many years to make is that just baffles me. yeah those characters are there like yeah. it's just about whether people are willing to make movies about them and i think like i mean as i said at the beginning i'm not an expert but i would say that whoever it is that makes those decisions need to know even by looking at something like oceans 8 that you know maybe not the best movie in the world but it absolutely raked it in like women want to see movies yeah. that are all strict the amount of money that that made mm. I mean, like, and that is a funny film. It's not a funny it's film. It's a very funny <laughs> film. <laughs> it annoyed me so much. Oh, I just, I hadn't laughed as much in years at something I thought was I don't know funny. what you're I talking about. Have to. Um, I think it's one of those ones that, if, I don't know, I think you, if, yeah. It, it just, probably saying a bit too much about me, but it reminded me of Cocktail Nights Out with the girls and oh, it just, good, yeah. yeah, I had fun with it. Um, I do think it's an interesting one. I think 2019 is probably going to be jam-packed as well with remakes. Um, I don't know any of them that are coming down the line, but I'm sure they're there. Um, hopefully they're going to be better than Ghostbusters. Hopefully. That's, that's all. But there is a new Ghostbusters there coming is, out. Yeah. And nobody's giving out yeah, about exactly. the fact. Why is nobody giving out about that? That's yeah. Yeah. But it's men, isn't it? Exactly. So no one's giving yeah. out about it. I heard that... Um, a couple of them just aren't interested, though, in, in doing it. But I think Dan Aykroyd is on board. So, um... Yeah, I just, I don't think... Nobody asked for it. No. You know, Jason Reitman uh, went on his Twitter, Jason Reitman being the son of Ivan Reitman, who made the first one. I never asked one. for the second Ghostbusters originally. Exa right? Exactly, yeah. And I think those films, look, the first one was very good, but they're held in this high regard where I think, is that kind of... Was it self-created a little bit by the people who actually made it? Yeah, I think they should go back and try and do the Ninja Turtles again. I really think that that can be I'm, done better, and uh, I love them, and they should be afforded the opportunity to spark on film. Ah, there we go. I've said it. I've said it. That's the only thing. That's the only thing I wanted okay, to say. Who's your about, well, I mean, it has to be Leonardo. Oh, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Leonardo. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this forever. Um, no, let's not. So, Oscar season, quickly before I let you go, because I've kept you for a while, what do you think is going to be the absolute big hitter this season? I mean, A Star is Born has obviously gotten huge 
um, hype, I suppose, yeah. but it's not necessarily living up to it so far. I'm still, yeah. Globes, I, Critics' Choice, that kind of thing. Really surprised that I really thought that, that Star is Born was, was going to sweep the boards. Yeah. I really thought that, and I'm quite stunned at the Golden Globes, and I'm really hoping that's just some sort of weird glitch. I just don't understand Bradley Cooper not getting Best Actor. I know, he was I, incredible. I, I just think uh, Rami Malek winning for Bohemian Rhapsody, that was a glitch in the Matrix there, I, that was... I do um, think he was very good, but... Well, he was good Bradley after Cooper's. like 40 minutes of the movie. I just think that if you have to warm up to the character, yeah. then I just don't think that's an Oscar-worthy performance. Like for the first 40 minutes, I was just looking at his prosthetics and I couldn't get past it. Yeah. And I mean, then when I warmed up to that, okay, Rami Malek is, is this guy, then fine, let's let's get into it then. But that's not what you should come away from a film going like, oh yeah, no, it really got good after 40 minutes. That's not something that you want to feel. Well, I'm thinking like there, there's a li there's, there are two lists in my head one, you know, who should win and then mm. who, who's going to win. And I thought, like, I adored A Star is Born. It's a beautiful film. It's it about is. as perfect as it could ever have been. I didn't cry. Um, oh, I oh did. Yeah, oh. several times. Yeah. So I'm dead inside. Uh, yeah, dead made a stone. Well, no, yeah, this sorry. is what people said to me. They were like, did you cry? I was like, no. Should I have? Just at the end or throughout? I, I started at so one point and I, <laughs> I started again at another point. There's a, the, the two brothers have a, a scene together and that, that destroyed oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah mean, that, that killed really, me. That yeah. absolutely killed me. Yeah, and I tend sad. to not, I'm not a crier at films, mm. but it destroyed me. No, I didn't cry. Maybe I should watch it again. Do yeah. Maybe oh, I plan on watching time. it several times. I actually got the 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 soundtrack on vinyl oh, yeah. for Christmas. It's, it's oh, I, I was very happy with that. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, I've said too much, but um, <laughs> I do think you know Bohemian Rhapsody. I'll always say it. Um, I know I've gotten several digs in about that film, but it wasn't even the best film released the week it was out, and it just baffles me <laughs> mm. that it might potentially. I think it will. It'll probably pick up a few Oscars. I'd say Vice probably will as well. Yeah. A couple of months ago, if you said to me, you know, what's going to win everything, I would have said a Star is Born. But judging the way the award season has gone. And I do think there's a weird politics associated with everything, as in, I don't know, but I've heard some interviews about the kind of ways in which they have to almost, what's the word now, they have to like almost sell themselves a little bit and sell the movies oh, yeah. and, and yeah, all that I mean, kind that, of stuff. That is certainly part of it. I suppose it's like anything kind of anything that's a camp, anything that's yeah. elected. There's sort oh, of sorry, a campaign. Oh, sorry, yeah, campaign. And, that's the word. Yeah. So like there's huge <laughs> campaigns yeah. that go yeah. behind it and I wonder about how much that actually influences the overall decision. It would be really sad if that's what it's based on, but I mean, you would hope that maybe it's not. Oh, apparently the Oscar tours and the actual campaign, like to right up until that day, is more is more tiring for yeah. the performers than the actual yeah. performance was. Um, and it's just to stay in voters' minds right up until the I last so minute. Because they, they, I mean, the 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 the, the jury, they, or the Academy, they watch an extraordinary number of films. Yeah. I mean, it is it is extraordinary. Yeah. I think they need to re redo the system, and rather than everybody have to watch so many, that a certain percentage has to get through this lot, this lot, and this lot. Yeah. Um, yeah what do you guys think about Olivia Coleman? Do you think she's going to take it? Uh, for Best Actress, I don't think so. I think that will go down between Glenn Close for The Wife mm -hmm. and Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born. Yeah. Um, although it is a remarkable performance, yeah. I think if she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She'd run away with that. Really? Yeah, but it's too tight between Glenn think, Close yeah. and Lady Gaga. Yeah. And Lady Gaga is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, she's acting a bit weird though now, so I don't know, like, as in in the award ceremony, um, you mentioned before we had Conor Bean on the show, <coughs> so he's kind of tracking her award season, if it were, and she's, she's put on a bit of a different accent. She's put on kind of this, like, what film actors are trained to speak American, kind of old school. Like, yeah. it's a little bit of a throwback to the 40s and 50s. She's yeah. crying a lot, and she's, like, saying how wonderful everyone is. And, he, like, Connor thinks it's absolutely gas what's going on now, as in she is acting and it's coming across and remember the backlash that happened when Anne Hathaway stepped up there and started kind of performing a little bit during her season I have a feeling that Lady Gaga is this, she's so unusual and she's got a lot of stuff going on so I, I would unlike Anne Hathaway who I believe it is a performance all the way yeah. I, I have a feeling that with Lady Gaga it's that she the personality she takes on is who she is at that time I do find it hard to believe that she doesn't know how good she is because she genuinely puts that out there that she had no idea that she was going 
going to do this great. She is probably one of the most talented people on this planet. Yeah, well, I thought that uh, that Netflix documentary, uh, yeah, Five Foot Two, that that was really good at exploring and getting under like the the, the reasons for why she, you know, maybe lacks when it comes to yeah. uh, self esteem and self belief. But another reason I do want her to, to win the Oscar is just for the chance for her to go up there and say, "There's, you know, a hundred people in in, <laughs> in the room, but one will believe in you." Just so we can finally add that to the. I presume you've seen the video. Yes, I have yes. seen the video. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So I mean, that would be great as well. And she is again one of the most talented people. I have the soundtrack as well. I listen to it all the time. Yeah. We haven't spoken about men at all. So right before we go, best actor Bradley Cooper. Think? Bradley Cooper. Bradley for me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I'd love. I'd love yeah. Bradley Cooper to win. I think Rami Malek will get it for Bohemian Rhapsody. Really? Yeah. Which I, I, I know, Christian I, you know, Bale is. In, in, he's ooh. incredibly good though. In Vice. It's between incredibly the two. Yeah. good. But I want. Yeah. I watched Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper yeah. I just thought his performance was fantastic. Absolutely he was absolutely amazing, amazing yeah. Um, well, that's all the time that we have. Thank you so much for coming in and talking about movies. I think I learned a lot. I think we all learned a little bit about what you have on vinyl and how Ninja Turtles should <laughs> yeah. make a comeback. And you now know what you need to go and see. Exactly, and you see everything. <laughs> um, final word, though. What is the thing that you're most excited about in film coming up in 2019? Oh, oh uh, I have two things. Okay, can I go for two? Things? Sure. I have to say, I'm a massive, massive, massive Marvel fan, so I am dying to see Avengers Endgame. I have to say it. I just is that going to be the last one though? Because they be all the last say in, in this particular format. Okay, there will be more, but it's 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 literally Endgame's game changer. So as a diehard Marvel fan, I have to say that I'm but, a fan of Marvel as well, but it's getting a little confusing. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I have a wall chart at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I make the wall. No, I don't. <laughs> um, and then uh, an Irish. Um, uh, a whole other yes. Oh, we were meant to talk about that. that we ran out of that time. Trailers. I watched yeah. the trailer literally old school through my fingers. Like it looks absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And we're not necessarily known for our horror genre here no, in Ireland, not, are we? So. And there's been a few we're ropey getting, attempts getting, as yeah, well. We're getting a bit better with them as well. But yeah. That trailer is anything to go by. Ooh. Yeah, that looks absolutely terrible. I'm not going to go see it. I don't enjoy being scared. I don't know why anybody would want to go see a horror movie. Well, I'll actually say too that would be horror movies. I might as well throw that in there because I remember seeing the trailer for The Hole in the Ground with Sean the Cares like and thinking, this is an Irish Babadook. That is going to be amazing. Oh, but it's premadering. It's premadering. I'm about to do It's premadering at uh, Sundance, which is amazing. Uh, yeah, but so. Jordan Peele's Us. That's, yeah. Yes. So it's his Jordan Ooh. Peele's, uh, not, not a sequel to, but his first film since Get Out. Yeah. And it's another it's nightmare. It's Haven't they said nightmare. it's pretty much in the same kind of vein as yes. Get Out in yes. terms of like thriller, Trailer horror? Freaked me out. It no, kind of looks like it's going to uh, mess with our heads, yeah. but I'm, you know, I bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love I haven't seen Get Out. Oh, there you go. I'm sorry, but I do not like being scared. An ex-boyfriend of mine tricked me into going to see one of the paranormal activities. I don't know which one it was, but I didn't know I was seeing that until I was in the cinema. That's evil. Is that what did you think you were That is exactly why he's an ex now. <laughs> what like, film did you think it was? I don't know. I wasn't paying attention and he bought me a lot of sweets and I was just really like, oh, okay, popcorn, yay, cinema. And then the next thing it just started. I was like, this is different. This isn't Care Bears. Exactly, yeah. Family friendly. Um, that is all the time that we have. Thank you so much to Cara and Chris. You must come back again. Maybe we could talk about movies more on this show. I think nice I know. Did I, I do okay? Did. Yep. did I? Did. Absolutely. Go watch some more movies first. <laughs> um, thank you as well to Keith Barry, of course, who was on as well. You can go check out all the tour dates for Deception on his website. I'm Neve Marr and we will chat to you next week. <laughs>